This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. Fellas, I'm ready to get up and do my thing. I want to get into it, man, you know. Like, I, you know I'm the man, don't you? Can I count it off? One, two, three, four. You're listening to the Church Politics Podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibbony, where you can get in-depth political analysis from a Christian worldview. Transcend partisanship and political ideology with us as we seek true discipleship in the public square. This is the Church Politics Podcast brought to you by the AND Campaign. I am Michael Ware. It's good to be with you uh, this week. We, we have decided to bring you a special episode, an extended conversation with uh, Philip and Jasmine Holmes. We'll tell you more about that, and we are going to move pretty quickly to the conversation. But just want to give you a few updates from the Ann campaign uh, uh, first. Uh, first, Justin sends his love, appreciation. We'll, we'll, we'll be back doing the podcast uh, together uh, soon because of schedules uh, and circumstances decided to move forward with this episode uh, as Justin had some some other uh, obligations. Uh, Justin was able to lead organizing with local church and, and uh, our friends and board members, Show Baraka, Angel Maldonado, and other friends like Jaha Howard, uh, our, our boy Trent, uh, uh, and uh, Really a wonderful crowd out in Atlanta for a action there. So thank y'all for joining, for providing a Christian uh, witness um, uh, in in Atlanta in what has been a, a difficult week uh, for for many reasons. This Sunday on June seventh, uh, Ann Campaign is going to be supporting a march in D.C organized by Faith and Works, some Christians out of Anacostia River Church, and we're just so grateful for their leadership. I'm going to be out there. I know members and leadership from our chapter, the Ann Campaign chapter in D.C. are going to be out there, and I'm just hoping to see the church in D.C. uh, show up united behind the leadership of, of this coalition and provide, again, a distinctly Christian witness one that's about action, one that's about prayer, one that believes in the power of prayer and in the power of Christians who are in discernment with the Holy Spirit pursuing the Father's will on earth. Uh, and so uh, I, this is Sunday, June 7th. The march begins at 2. Folks are meeting at East Capitol uh, Street Southeast and B Street Southeast. Uh, so that's a Ward 7 point. The Ward 8 point, uh, folks are meeting at South Capitol Street and Howard Road. We're going to meet, uh, we're going to walk, we're going to march from there to the Capitol, and then we're going to sing from the Capitol to the White House. So I- I'm excited about this. Again, super grateful for uh, the leadership. Um, and if you're in the D.C., if you're in the DMV and you have the ability, come out. We're going to be social distanced. 
Lord knows my wife's going to make sure <laughs> I'm, I'm wearing a mask with a mask over it. Y'all can hit me up for hand sanitizer. I'm going to have Lysol on me. <laughs> Melissa's going to got me, going to get me suited up. Don't worry about that. And, um, we're going to try and take care of folks' health, right? We care about human dignity. We care about human lives. So we're, we're going to protest for human dignity and we're going to do so in a way that respects uh, human dignity and folks, folks safety, uh, but would, would encourage folks to make it out on June 7th. Uh, the Ann campaign also released a, uh, statement about the, the murders of George Floyd, Ahmed Arbery, and Breonna Taylor, and what we believe to be a proper response and would urge folks to check that out. You can go to annecampaign.org. Um, we're going to have, uh, more information coming out in the coming days. And look, I think you're going to be blessed by this conversation with Philip and Jasmine. Before we get into it, I just want to just want to acknowledge people are coming to this podcast and listen to this episode. It's been an oppressive week. I I want to recognize that folks are feeling burdened by the fact that this hasn't just been an oppressive week, but that these are circumstances that long predate this week. They predate Garner, Michael Brown. They predate Sean Bell. They predate. Diallo, they predate Medgar Evers and Emmett Till. And so the Ann campaign, I personally, we're, we're just with you in that. And we confess in the midst of this oppressive environment, the victory we have in Jesus Christ. And that's not a trite thing. That's not something we say lightly. If we didn't believe it was reality, we would not say it, but praise God, it is. Take heart, for in this world you will have trouble. And the Lord's just called us to not withdraw, to not try and ignore reality, but he says he'll be right by our side in it. And I I hope you feel uh, the presence of Jesus in, in your life and know that you can lean on him. No matter what your history is, you don't need to feel like, oh, oh, I haven't experienced things that other people seem to have. So I got to put on this facade. I got to or I got to I got to act like it doesn't get to me. Uh, You can bring it all to the foot of the cross. And Jesus, our friend, will bear that burden. He'll take it on for you. I, 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 I do believe that. I felt that. Again, I think you're going to be blessed by the conversation with Philip and Jasmine, and we're going to bring it to you right after this break. This is the Church Politics Podcast. So glad to bring you this interview with Philip and Jasmine Holmes. Uh, Jasmine Holmes has written for the Gospel Coalition, Desiring God, Fathom Mag, Christianity Today, and The Witness. She's author of Mother to Son, Letters to a Black Boy on Identity and Hope. She is also a contributing author to the, the great book, Identity Theft, Reclaiming the Truth of Our Identity in Christ and His Testimonies. 
My Heritage, Women of Color on the Word of God. Just a wonderful project. Would ask that you support both of those works. Uh, Jasmine teaches humanities in a classical Christian school in Jackson, Mississippi, where she and her husband, Philip, are parenting two young sons. Uh, Philip Holmes is the Vice President for Institutional Communications at Reformed Theological Seminary. He's Editor-in-Chief of Ministry and Leadership Magazine and owner of Highest Good, a digital marketing and strategy agency. He's also a co-founder and former Vice President of the Reformed African American Network, which is now the Witness Black Christian Collective. And shout out to our friends over at The Witness. Phillips written for the Gospel Coalition, Desiring God and Lifeway Voices. He and his wife, uh, Jasmine, again, have two sons, Walter Wynn and Ezra Langston. Just, lo- just love those names. Beautiful boys. And they are members of Redeemer Church in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, here's my conversation with Philip and Jasmine. Philip, Jasmine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for uh, for joining me. Thank you for having us. Yeah, uh, I've admired both of y'all from afar for uh, quite some time and, uh, you know, thought thought it would be a a great opportunity to have you both on on the podcast. Really want to have an open conversation. Uh, So much has transpired in the last week, the last couple of weeks. Uh, But what has transpired in the last week or a couple of weeks isn't an aberration isn't isn't something new in American life, uh, but the reaction to it to it in some ways has been has been new and, and striking. But but before before we sort of get into dynamics, would love for listeners to be able to be a bit more acquainted with with uh, who you are. And so would would love for for you to just share a bit, uh, both of you, about uh, your work and and your life, and then then we'll 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 go from there. Jasmine, I'll let you go first. Ladies first. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure. Um, So I am married to Philip. I have two little boys. Um, (laughs) Wynn will be four tomorrow in Langston. I know. It went by so fast. Um, (laughs) And our youngest is almost 18 months old. Um, I'm a teacher. I teach history at a classical Christian school. And I'm a writer. I just published a book called uh, Mother to Son, Letters to a Black Boy on Identity and Hope um, with IVP. And I haven't been writing much besides that's been taking up most of my (laughs) life recently. But um, before that, I kind of freelanced and wrote all over the place. Yeah, I I forgot. But as soon as you said it, I remembered that that yeah, your second was born just like a month after my baby girl. My my girl's uh, oh my wow. turned eighteen months. Yes, twenty fourth, and so I I remember feeling like uh, feeling like we were tracking tracking a bit, uh, and so it's it's a great age. Eighteen months is pretty pretty good. It's so fun. <laughs> uh, well, it's great, and again, I would encourage people to to go out and 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 check out Jasmine's book, uh, Philip. Uh, what wh- what about what about you? I know you recently took on a, a new role. Yeah, so about two years ago, um, I joined the Reformed Theological Seminary um, at the time as director of communications and marketing, but uh, now I serve as vice president for institutional communications uh, for RTS. Uh, and I've been in that job for, I guess, three years now, actually, uh, for about, I guess, 2017. September 2017 was when I joined. 
Um, apart from that, though, I also uh, have a digital marketing uh, and strategy agency called Highest Good Media um, that the Lord has been gracious to allow me to do on the side. Um, and it's been fun. So I tend to try to work with uh, nonprofits and small businesses who uh, I feel like are making positive impacts uh, on yeah. society, uh, trying to basically use what the Lord has given me uh, to try to leverage those uh, gifts and skill sets um, for just for, for the greater good, for um, to see society and, and humans flourishing and, and prospering. Um, I'm also involved in locally um, in a few uh, political advocacy groups. Um, and I also do some freelance writing uh, on the side whenever I have the time. All right. That's, that's, that's great. Was able to uh, check out your, your firm a bit and that looks like great work. I mean, it's, it, I, you know, my, my work in some ways has been similar in, in that, you know, it's just such a blessing to be able to come alongside ministries that, you know, are doing good work and just feel like you're able to, to boost them a bit and help them reach more people and, uh, and expand the good work they're already doing. It's, uh, I, I've really, really enjoyed that. And it seems like you're thriving in that space too. All right. So folks are, have, have a little more sort of sense of, of where y'all are coming from. I mean, I, I just love to open up the conversation. I, I mean, I, look, we weren't going to do an episode this week, but just heard from so many folks who, who wanted to hear an episode. And I, I thought Philip and Jasmine would be wonderful, wonderful guests. And I, I think people are just wrestling with, with how, the killing of George Floyd, what they're seeing in cities around the nation, what they're yeah. learning about the country, um, the the things that they're experiencing in their own social environments. I think people are just processing what this means. And again, on, on multiple levels as, as individuals, as, as, as parents and sons and daughters and, and uncles and, and aunts. Uh, uh, and then, and then living, you know, as citizens, as 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 part of um, uh, as part of a, a, a nation. Obviously, people have been thinking about their citizenship in different ways, and so I, I'd love to just, you know, would love to talk about all three of those levels, and, and happy to start kind of kind of with what's most pressing on um, uh, your guys' heart and what what y'all are discussing around the kitchen table. Uh, and um, <laughs> but but how have you been processing? And what do you think is most pressing for the church to consider in light of the last, you know, the the last week? Uh, I think one of the main things that Philip and I have been talking about is the way that the church tends to divide along party lines, uh, even when we're talking about human life. So mm. we kind of put our political affiliation before people Um on all sides, I think that happens, but it's especially glaring in the case of um, George Floyd's murder, Ahmaud Arbery's murder, just seeing people um, who are so doggedly anti-liberal and have so decided that um, to prioritize Black life is automatically liberal, that they're just like, they're blocking off um, any kind of option um, for a conservatively voting, maybe even Republican Republican person, uh, dare I say it, uh, to care about yeah. Black lives and to affirm that Black lives matter um, and to embrace. I mean, there are um, 
several conservative policies that could absolutely benefit the Black community, but it's not even something that we think about taking advantage of um, as conservatives often because we're so content to just let Democrats and quote unquote liberals like have that. That's their thing. Mm-hmm. So we can't we can't care about that. We we are only supposed to care about the officer in this. We can't care about that other person because that's what that's what they do over there. Um, and it's just the tribalism keeps us from seeing the truth or even listening to other perspectives. Right. Right. Seeing, seeing everyone and even being able to, I think, I think that's, I think that's absolutely true. It's not just that folks ideas tend to favor certain groups, but it's, it's that the the parties seem only interested in talking to half half the country. Mm -hmm. I I think, I think, I think that's right. And, and, you know, I think what's especially pressing and we talk about this often and campaign on these podcasts, but the way that, that model sets an example for the church that Christians often seem too uh, too easily to follow. I think is a is is a real a, a real problem. Have, have Philip have, have have you seen that in um, in the response of uh, I, I guess Christians, but then you you know sort of pu- public figures generally. Um, over over the last couple of weeks as well. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I, I 100% agree with everything uh, Jasmine said. You know, one of the things this is one of the things that grieves me about um, Christians and and the current political climate is how how tribal uh, it is. My wife will tell you that uh, I'm I'm always trying to be the guy who's understanding both sides of the argument. Um, and what I found so often is that people don't care about truth. Uh, they care more about making sure that there's no egg on their camp's face when it's all said and done. So when, so when new things come up, uh, new information is revealed, um, you know, the, the, the popular thing today is to say, Hey, let's wait for the facts. And usually what ends up happening, happen, happening when we wait for the facts and the facts actually come out is that um, then they tell you you're overreacting, right, when the facts are actually in. Huh. Um, and and I've just watched this narrative over and over, and it's not, you know, and I, because I'm, I'm that guy, it's not a one-sided issue, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, yeah. This is not a, a problem that is um, only in the conservative camp. Um, I think it's also a problem that is in many progressive camps as well. Yeah. Um, and when you live in a society and when you live in a culture today where um, having extreme stances and uh, attacking uh, your audience's uh, opponent uh, can be uh, beneficial to you, whether it's, whether it's financial uh, or whether it's um, the attempt to acquire power, um, I think that we should be very skeptical uh, of people who have made a platform out of these things, especially when um, there's there's signs that they're being inconsistent in their standards. Um, yeah. So I, I, I feel like I haven't I, 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 I'm grieved for the church because I don't think that we're as discerning as we should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm also grieved, too, that on both sides, Christians have yet to lead. We're always following. 
Uh, mm-hmm. We're always co-opting what the world does. And that always is probably extreme. Uh, I can hear, I can hear my wife tapping me right now, but I, I do think that we, <laughs> we can be, we, we, we can be followers when the world really needs us to be prophets and leaders. And we need to say something, say things to the culture and say things internally to ourselves that are transcendent, uh, not just adopting what the world does. Yeah. Jasmine, what, what, what kind of resources, what kind of structures, what kind of supports do you think are, are needed to facilitate you know what Philip's talking about uh, Christians who are who are sort of uh, leading the conversation, or at least not being not being led by the standards other people are setting. But like obviously, this is happening for 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 a reason that doesn't it, it, what Philip's describing doesn't happen on its own. So so what does it look like to to create uh, systems and culture and, and support people who who want to approach things in a different in a different way. Is that, is that possible in your mind? Yeah, I definitely think so. I think that one of the major resources, and this is my inner teacher coming out, um, is education on the topics beyond just what I've noticed a lot is that people wait, sit around and wait for somebody else to do the research for them so they can post (laughs) whatever link, (laughs) you know? And, um, I mean, I've been guilty of the same thing. And uh, for instance, uh, a link came out, um, from, I, I want to say Washington Post about um, the number of black men killed by police versus the number of white men killed by police. And every single, like I went down my timeline and every single person was posting this link. And yeah. I clicked it and started doing some research and looking around and realized that just by like a couple of clicks, I was able to find different perspectives that were also statistically supported and kind of go a little deeper, you know, deeper into the rabbit hole. But I think that sometimes we're so content to have our biases confirmed and so content to just like hide behind somebody else who's already done the work that we're not doing the hard work for ourselves. Um, And that, you know, that goes for me too. Like it's so easy for me to just Google find a link that seems to agree with my point of view and post yeah. it without any integrity. Um, but it's, it's really important to have that integrity and to look a little deeper and to do the work for ourselves and to do the work first. I would love to see Christians on the front lines of, I am not a statistician. That is not my gifting. Uh, but I would love to see Christians who, who are um, doing more of this hard work for themselves instead of just kind of like, copying and pasting what somebody else mm. done. And, you know, I'm, I'm interested how much of that perspective is because you're a teacher at a, at a classical Christian school. And, and well, let, let's talk about, you know, Thurman and Jesus and the disinherited. I, I think when people approach that book, and, and actually this is in Vincent Harding's forward to the book, he says, you know, when, when people op- open up this book, they, they read it through through current eyes and expect uh, a, a certain kind of message. But you, you read books like Jesus and Disinherited. And then obviously, you know, if you go to uh, Augustine and Plato, and, you, you know, you, you read history and see a that a, a lot of current dynamics are not new dynamics. And then you're able to sort of pull out and see what might be relevant to the current situation, but also what uh, how how previous generations have dealt with very uh, 
uh, similar circumstances and the ways that we've gotten it wrong in the past. I think that's a that's a missing sort of stream of uh, thought in a lot of our current debates, this sort of idea that these issues have never been discussed before and, and that people haven't made decisions that had unintended consequences and that we might be prone to the same thing. So I, I'm just on a train of thought here, but I'm just interested in, in, in sort of how connected your analysis is to your model of teaching and, and the kind of curriculum that you're teaching to, to kids. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think so. And um, it it's a testament to my pickiness for curriculum too, because I <laughs> never, like I never find one that I just want to use. So every year I end up doing research and teaching from, and every year I'm like, there's going to be a textbook that I like, and I'm just going to not do all this work. It's going to happen someday. Um, but just, you know, just that research base and learning more about our history and our nation's history, you know, the things like, I I hear a lot of times people are blaming the media, like, oh, the media is trumping everything up. The media is the problem. If it weren't for the media, we wouldn't know about any of this stuff, or we wouldn't be like thinking that it's, you know, as big a deal as it is. And for the people decrying the media, you know, looking back at the civil rights movement, the media played such a pivotal role in Mm. bringing the barbarism of the American South into people's living rooms and forcing them to come face to face with themselves. And they did not like what they saw. And so while we're decrying the media, I, I know it can be slanted. It can be um, it's, you know, on on all sides, it can be (laughs) completely slanted. Um, Also, being grateful for these images that may be bringing attention to something that we might otherwise be blind to or stick our heads in the sand because of, uh, and having that historical perspective, I think can help us to have um, gratitude instead of just, like you said, seeing ourselves as the first people to ever come in contact with these um, thoughts and ideas. Right. Yeah. Uh, Philip, it's, I want to ask about uh, sort of more personally, but but before that, even zooming out, you know, a, a bit further, your point about sort of political paradigms, it, it's sort of imposing their will uh, on, on folks. Um, what do you think are the theological sort of resources that, that push, that push against that? I mean, I mean, what, how, how ought, you know, pastors be talking, be thinking through shepherding congregations on, on this topic? I think that one of the most important things, and this is something that we hear uh, quite often, but I think that uh, reading Black authors, reading, forcing yourself to read things that you disagree with and actually wrestle uh, with them is one of the best ways. I don't think that there is a book uh, or a resource uh, that's going to transform uh, a person. I think it's going to be different things for different people. Uh, but you know, white evangelicalism, uh, we have to continue to encourage them to step outside of their comfort zones because it's so easy, uh, for many of our white, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, to continue doing, uh, what they're doing. Um, and as you guys have already alluded to, because of social media, uh, and because of the news media, a lot of the stuff that that they could ignore on a day-to-day basis because it's probably not happening. It may not be happening right next door. It may be happening across the you know track or something like that because it's not interfering with their day-to-day lives. Most often uh, they can just simply ignore it uh, and pretend it doesn't exist uh, and encourage their 
people to, or, or at least not encourage their people to, to think uh, critically uh, through these things. Um, so what happens is, is that when these tragedies and, and when these injustices happen, uh, the, f- the first thing that their people are doing in order to understand and the process what's going on is that they tune in to CNN or Fox News. Um, and, and when the media begins discipling our people uh, on matters of uh, mm. worldview yeah. and how we should view justice and how we should view mercy. Um, we, we're going to have the church begins to look a lot more like Capitol Hill uh, than the other way around. Um, and I've seen this happen over and over again, just as I've engaged people um, mm. that they haven't been forced to really think for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, what they do oftentimes is, uh, repeat or parrot uh, what they've heard. Uh, they go and, as Jasmine's already alluded to, copy and paste statistics, uh, but they've never actually taken a deeper look. African Americans oftentimes are forced, especially those of us who are uh, engaged um, at this level, we're forced to interact and think through those things. Those of us that don't engage and don't critically uh, push back on some of uh, those statistics uh, that have not been. Um, uh, analyzed carefully, uh, we end up falling in for the trap and a form of self-hatred uh, begins to develop uh, inside of us because we do believe uh, all of the hype. But if, if somebody is actually like looking carefully at the facts, looking carefully at the statistics, uh, and, and also recognize that stats are not gospel, right? You can do anything with stacks and, and create a narrative by cherry picking. Um, and, and I've, and I've seen that done over and over again. I see all the time. I'm a yeah, marketer, right. right? So stats right. is a part of my job. That's I need right. to, I need to know what's working and what's not working from a data perspective, but yeah. I guarantee you, I can make something look really good. That's not actually doing that well uh, by choosing to right. leave certain things out or take things out of context. And I see it happen all the, all the time in commentary, um, uh, by armchair, um, political and, and social ex- experts within the church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jasmine, you know, f- folks are going to have to vote in this presidential election in five months. And uh, how, how do you talk to people who, who say, look, like I'm, I believe that the, the, the issues of, of racial justice and, and criminal justice are, are important, but, but that's not all that's on the ballot. It's complicated. How do you think issues and the events of the last week or two ought to influence how people not just uh, approach politics, but approach approach elections, approach approach the the you know the binary process of voting? Yeah, I think that um, I don't know anybody that's not holding their nose to vote in the, this election this year. Um, so it is kind of a difficult election to use as an example because um, sometimes the options just don't seem that good, right? So I'll steer it back towards locally. Local elections are so much more important on a day-to-day basis, and people tend to forget about that. And so really looking at the legislation that's going on in your area and how you can get actively involved in bringing about the change that that you want to see. I think that, um, like Philip said, you know, there's people kind of sitting, these armchair philosophers just kind of, you know, going back and forth about what's best and how to fix what's wrong and how to fix it uh, 
you know, from an ideological perspective, but not really getting actively involved in um, what it looks like to fix it on the ground, what it looks like to really take into account the things that are going on in Black neighborhoods um, for us in Jackson, Mississippi, and figuring out, okay, what's the legislation on the docket that's going to really impact these people that I claim to care about? Um, What are things that I can do to get more involved? You know, from my perspective, I'm a mom, I have two young kids. And so there is a limited amount of research that's going on and research that's happening. Um, So for me, even just being supporting people who are involved in making these changes. So for instance, my um, OB, um, she is actively involved in writing the statistic that Black women are 300 times more likely to die in childbirth than their white counterparts. That is a tangible thing that having a Black healthcare worker helps. That is a tangible way that I can make a choice and raise awareness and, you know, be a part of this change that I'm saying needs to happen. And so different people at different stages of their life are going to be involved in different ways. Uh, I want to become a birth worker someday after my sons are a little bit older. Um, but, you know, looking towards the future and making actual concrete plans. Yeah, it's it, we could go on a whole other trajectory. I've, I've long been passionate about sort of family friendly policy and maternal and child health, mm-hmm. uh, actually going through it. And we have, uh, you have a four-year-old and, and both of our, uh, my, my only child and your youngest are both 18 months going through it and, and seeing, you know, finding out along the process, how much uh, science and medicine still don't know about pregnancy. (laughs) Really, you know, really. And the reason why is because government hasn't prioritized funding the research. (laughs) So I've been, I was fired up before, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm now a, a, uh, an evangelist for increased funding for maternal and child health research because it's it's just important. Like we all, we all were born. Like yeah. <laughs> it would seem yeah. to be a pretty, pretty significant priority that we figure out how this, how this stuff works. Um, but, uh, uh, but, but we'll, we'll, we'll t- maybe that'll be a, a, a separate conversation. Uh, for sure. Yeah. That's one of my, definitely one of my passion areas for yes. sure. I Philip is laughing because that's like my drum yep. that I beat. <laughs> Yeah, we'll have to trade books. And, yeah, there's a lot we could talk about. <laughs> um, but, uh, Philip, I want to take it, uh, you know, we're, we're nearing the end of the conversation. I want to um, give give you both an opportunity to talk. Well, well first, if, if you want to say anything about sort of the presidential election specifically, would, would welcome that. But but what would also ask you about, you know, cr- Christians in their daily lives, you, you know, uh, Christians are in public, th- they're citizens, they have political and social uh, responsibilities in, in the public square. But in, in one-on-one conversations, and we're think- and when we're thinking about the- discipling people and helping people figure out wh- what this means for their, uh, what these kinds of conversations mean for their daily lives, what's the kind of, I mean, you've given some advice a- a- already, but but what, what what does it mean for Christians to uh, be be reflecting on and, and be be actively pursuing God's heart in, in light of what we we've seen? Well, I think two things. Number one, 
you know, going back to your previous question, I don't think that Christians can continue to justify uh, being uh, strictly uh, one party uh, voters. I, I think mm-hmm. that we have to be discerning and we have to, as Jasmine alluded to, looking at local, looking at state, and then looking at national and basically making our decisions based on what that person has the power to do uh, and what they stand for and believe in. Um, Because oftentimes you're going to find out that people are voting one side uh, just because it's the best option on that side, right? Uh, Without considering that there may be someone on the other side who would be fit, who would be a better fit for that role. And when it comes to -to day-to-day lives and interacting with uh, Christians and, and talking to white brothers and sisters about these things and helping them think through these things. I would just say that I think that it's important for us to listen so that we actually understand where it is that they're coming from. And I think this has to be a two way street anytime you're going to be able to uh, make any type of progress in a conversation. And, and I say this not because. You know, there's there's the white people need to sit down and shut up um, and just listen. I I, I I don't I need you yeah, talking yeah. so I can understand what the problem is. Right. I can't make a diagnosis. Right. So yeah. I, I need I need you comfortable. Yeah. Right. Uh, I need you uh, feeling like you can tell me anything yeah. um, so that I can accurately know how to apply the scalpel. Uh, but if I'm the only one, I, I, this you know, this is a part of uh, when I'm meeting with clients. If I go into a client meeting, and just because I'm the expert, if I come in doing all the talking, I'm not going to know what they actually need help with. I'm also going to waste a lot of time because the things that right. I'm trying to address may be the things that we already agree on. Um, but if I take some time to to listen, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can find out where the blind spots are, uh, where the barriers are. Uh, and can really do a better job of again diagnosing the problem and and answering that person directly. Like and and then and then the other part of it is I think we just need to be more comfortable with confrontation. Um, man, I've seen so many of my mm-hmm. uh, black brothers and sisters do more um, confrontation on social media than that, than I've ever seen them do in person, and that grieves me. And I know where that's coming from because I, I've, you know, I, I was telling a, a group of brothers that I have a threat with. I was like, man, I feel like I have a, a, a PhD at this point in white Presbyterianism because, <laughs> and, 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 and un, honestly, man, because I, I've, you know, I entered into, I, I grew up in an all black neighborhood. I wasn't really around um, uh, white people in general uh, until I was 18, 19 years old. Yeah. Um, but ever since I was uh, 18 and I uh, was at a, a, a small uh, liberal arts uh, college here in Jackson, Mississippi, where I played basketball, um, I've been uh, a part of a white reformed evangelical uh, culture ever since then. Yeah. I engage and deal with a whole lot of uh, white brothers and sisters. And, you know, as it through all of my engagements, I know what it's like to be the guy in the room and to hear <laughs> ignorant things, even from well-meaning people, sometimes from <laughs> people who are not so well-meaning right. is, is the best way I can say it politely. Um, That's right. And, yeah, and yeah, to yeah, yeah. 
not really feel want to waste your breath because you're tired, right? Um, but at the same yeah. time, I think that if we are more direct, um, if we are more uh, more uh, confrontational when we feel like um, truth isn't being spoken, um, I think, and, and we don't play the political mm. game that's oftentimes so prevalent in in these uh, 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 cultures and institutions and denominations. Um, I think that we will either realize mm. quicker whether or not we're supposed to be there and wh- whether or not we need to stay or whether or not it's time for us to leave and move on. Um, because I think that when guys are yeah. quiet and you let stuff linger and you don't say anything and you quietly like, you know, try to forgive and forget what grows over time is guys get bitter and they get burnt out. And, and, but I've, the reason yeah. why I've lasted yeah, yeah, so yeah. long and, and it's, you know, it's because, you know, I'm I'm okay with guys not liking me, um, and 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 yeah, and it hurts <laughs> and it's it gets it gets tiring as well. But uh, sure, yeah, I make a lot. Of, sure, I make sure, a, sure. I, I find out that the, a lot of these guys are, are a lot more willing to repent, repent uh, than I probably would have given them credit for. And it's a balance. You have some guys that still don't like you in the end and, and don't want to repent and, 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 and don't appreciate the confrontation. Um, but I think there are a lot of brothers and sisters out there that appreciate the directness. Um, and, and that kind of gives you hope. Jasmine, just, you know, again, you, you wrote a powerful book. And, and I, I've just been mother to son letters to a black boy on identity and hope. Uh, we both have books with with hope in the in the title or 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 subhead uh, subtitle. What have you been thinking about? I mean, both your boys are, are still, you know, really really uh, uh, mm-hmm. you know relatively young. But but what have you been thinking about? Not just your your boys, but what is the message to next generation that is maybe seeing seeing a crisis like this unfold for 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 the first time in their young young lives? Uh, what have you been thinking about what to what to what to tell young black boys and girls about about this moment? I'm honestly hoping that they can look back on this moment and see that what we're doing right now is not working. Um, what we're doing right now with this two party system what we're doing right now with this tribalistic thinking, what we're doing right now with this, honestly, this laziness and letting whatever party we affiliate with do the thinking and talking points for us is not working. And so my hope is that our boys inherit something different, you know, and are able to take part in crafting something different and are able to take part in um, just, revolutionizing the way that we think about these issues because I think that we've been too content for too long to kind of rest rest on our laurels and let like Philip said let the media do the thinking for us and let the media do the um just do the homework for us and so as I raise my sons I'm really hoping to give them the resources that they need to understand the country that they live in and the way that it works to be grateful in all the ways that they should be grateful and to be willing to make a change in all the ways that, um, that that entails as well. And to just transcend kind of the tribalistic mindset that I really think is a huge part of the problem right now in the church. There is something really powerful about that, that, that phrase you said, inherit something new. I'm thinking of the phrase, you know, a new inheritance, um, and there's something there's something really beautiful um, and promising about that. Would either of you have have any sort of 
Uh, I mean, I think that's a good note to end on, but just want to give you both an opportunity uh, for any sort of closing thoughts. I'm so grateful that you spent the time and, and shared so much knowledge and wisdom with uh, with with me and with with the listeners of this podcast. But any any closing thoughts from from either of you? Uh, I just want to make sure that um, it is blatantly said that the gospel of Christ is what commands us to be involved in these changes and to care for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's what commands us to kind of reach across (laughs) the aisle for our brothers and sisters in the faith and to grow an understanding of like, really, it's, it's really about, um, about pleasing him. And I know that that's kind of in the subtext, but I just wanted to make sure that it was explicitly stated that that's, I mean, that's the goal here is unity in Christ. Sometimes we talk about these things as if they're a strategic imperative, mm-hmm. you know, or, or that it, it's a way to just get somewhere. Um, and and it's it's really important to make that subtext, uh, the, the, the text. I, I really appreciate that. Uh, Philip, Philip uh, a- anything to add? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, and th- this is a struggle probably for most Christians, but if we've ever needed it, uh, uh, I think we need it now more, more than ever. Um, is the importance of prayer. Uh, and yeah. I say this to, yeah. to people on both sides of the aisle, regardless of where it is that you stand right now, um, to those who are wrestling with these things or who, you know, feel like uh, this is uh, not that big of a deal. I, I mean, I challenge them to pray and, and, and ask the Lord to search their heart um, and to, to give them eyes to see if they're missing something to at least, if you're not willing to exercise humility uh, in public, uh, maybe uh, start starting in private prayer uh, and saying, Lord, I think that I'm right, but if I'm wrong, please show me. Um, you know, and I think on the other side of the aisle, uh, for Christians who um, clearly see the injustice and recognize it, uh, to not forget about the importance of prayer. Um, so mm. one, one of the other, one of the most encouraging things that I've seen this week was my dear friend Corey Porter. Um, and a picture that one of the um, RTS uh, executive directors sent me was uh, the prayerful protest that her and Russell uh, and some others uh, did in New York. We, we, we love, we love Corey Porter here at the podcast. Oh, oh I know y'all love Corey, Corey Porter. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, man. So Corey, Corey's amazing. Uh, we've been, we've been, we've known Corey for a long time, uh, but yeah, but that's, uh, you know, pray, pray and protest. Um, yeah. But, don't ever let uh, the world shame us into thinking that somehow prayer is less powerful, um, that that's just yeah. for the saints of old. Um, you, you have to remember that uh, much of the civil rights movement that, that actually made a lot of the progress was uh, built around people who believed in the power of prayer. And, and yes. you know, I said this on Twitter the other day, God can do so much more uh, with our private prayers uh, than he can do with our public protests. And and that's yeah. not negating the importance of protesting um, and speaking truth to power um, and doing that uh, as peacefully as we can. Uh, by all means, absolutely do it. Uh, but don't think that you're less of a Christian or you care less about justice if you're in the stage of life where you can't do those things. Um, but you can spend spend plenty of time in prayer. Um, and because of the amount of usage on social media, we, we all have time to pray, right? Yeah. I really hope folks will, 
what, what, what Philip just issued is an invitation to ask yourself if that's really true for you. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, I, I, I think, I think uh, oftentimes uh, as Christians, we can nod our head when someone says something like that. Yeah. But it's a good opportunity to, to ask, do, do, do you really believe that? And if not, that's not a, a condemnation. That's not something to feel guilty about. It's something to bring to the Lord. And, yeah. and, and, and it's, it's an opportunity to, to put your trust in him in a, in a different way than maybe you have before. So, <laughs> I mean, I feel really deeply about this and, and it's something I've wrestled with. So I don't mean to, I don't mean to, uh, I mean, what we could, what we could turn this into a preaching podcast <laughs> pretty quickly. <laughs> but, but I, I so appreciate, so appreciate uh, that, that word, Philip. Um, listen to both of you. I, Again, this was relatively short notice. I appreciate your graciousness in coming on such short notice. And really, thank you for the work that, that y'all do. Thank you for the wisdom you shared here. And and um, uh, I guess the last thing would be, how, what's the best way for folks to stay up with with you and, and your, your work? What's the best way for folks to, to be in touch? It's, it's hard to say. I mean, I'm, I'm, I think we're laughing. Because I, it's really hard to stay in touch with me, but I'm trying to do better. So I have. Um, so I mean, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Jasmine L. Holmes on all those platforms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. And, and again, uh, a really wonderful book would urge people to to to, to pick that up. And then, then Philip, what's the best way to stay in touch with you? Yeah, just primarily Twitter um, or LinkedIn if you use that. Um, yeah, those, those are the main two ways at this point. And, and, you know, I'll, 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 I'll say it cause you, you know, there are Christian ministries, uh, and nonprofits listening to this podcast and some of y'all, y- your, your websites just aren't working and y- y'all could use some help. <laughs> y'all could use some help. So, so, uh, so, you know, you could stay in touch with Philip in, in that way too. Uh, hey y'all. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, and looking forward to, to staying in touch and, and uh, hope to have you on again in, in, in the near future. Thanks. Absolutely. Thank you, Michael. We appreciate it, man. All right. I think everything that needed to be said was said in that conversation with Philip and Jasmine uh, and was really wonderful to have them on. Uh, Again, please take care of yourselves uh, emotionally, physically. Don't don't forget, y'all, COVID is is still a thing. (laughs) Uh, And uh, just because it's out of the news a little bit, it doesn't mean that y'all still don't need to protect yourselves, take care of yourselves. Uh, take care of your families, um, take care of your spirits, and uh, we'll be back soon with another episode of the Church Politics Podcast. Thanks for listening. Came out of Nazareth. This is the groove. Tell me, can yeah. I'm schooled in the ways of runaway slaves. I'm brave. I'm unchained. I'm Frederick Douglass with a fame. This episode was brought to you in part by the Truce Podcast. The new season examines the connection between some evangelicals and the Republican Party with the help of world-class historians. Subscribe to Truce in your podcast app or listen at trucepodcast.com.